class is in session. <laughs> Hello. And welcome to Triple B. Today we are eating a pan-fried tilapia with plum pear compote over a parsnip and mushroom puree. We are discussing Writers and Lovers, a novel by Lily King. I'm Jenny Lynn. I'm Katie Futrell. And we, we are, are the, the book bunch, <laughs> and, and we're, we're doing brunch. brunch. Today, some things you should know, uh, as we are discussing a book. Spoilers. Yes, got a couple of warnings coming up on this podcast. Number one, yes, we will be discussing a book, which means if you have not read it, there will be spoilers about the ending, uh, about the... <laughs> About the characters, just about everything uh, in this book will be spoiled. So hopefully, if you are following along with us, you have read the book. If not, you certainly don't have to uh, have read it to read or to listen along with us, but uh, there will be spoilers, as well as adult content, including... um, We swear. We do. We do. Adult language, and then uh, obviously some adult themes uh, in the book as well. So if that is not your thing... Please check out another wonderful podcast of your choice. I'd also like to mention that we're obviously, we're our own person. We have our own view on life. I may or may not agree with yours. And we try and bring into our book conversations those things. Um, So me, myself, I am a therapist by trade. And I was kind of, I was raised pretty middle class. And I'm part of the LGBT community. So I'll probably be bringing in some of that fun stuff. What about you, Futrell? Yeah, I am an English major, so that is definitely why we chose doing discussing books. Uh, obviously, I have a lot to <laughs> say as far as uh, literary critique. She's uh, going to try really hard not to make this class. That's right. <laughs> I am not here to, to teach English class, which is funny because that's uh, something that's going to come up later in the book. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll is, get into it. We'll get into it. Uh, which is interesting, but... You can have your own opinion. Uh, just keep it. Keep in mind that uh, we will be sharing our own opinions. They might be positive some weeks, depending on the book. They might be negative, but we will not hold back our taste or distaste for something. No, we, we will not, <laughs> and we we hope you don't either. Um, definitely look us up on Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. Share your thoughts on the book. Um, agree with us. Disagree with us. Mm-hmm. whatever you want we'd be glad to hear either so, way we'll get started with we're gonna always start with food we decided and we, we're so proud of this decision <laughs> that well i at least am no i am proud, super too. proud I, of I, i'm proud too. I'm, that was the laugh of just being <laughs> <laughs> impressed we, we originally were thinking about doing like finding a food in the book to make or maybe just like literally just making like brunch and like doing some fun stuff and seeing how it goes or me teaching Futrello how to cook. <laughs> and we landed on our food being a critique of the book. So we're hoping that the food represents like tastefully, and I do mean that as a double pun, what we feel <laughs> about <laughs> the book. So for this one, like I said, we... so. We're going to walk through the recipe itself, which, because we want you to listen <laughs> and actually write it out for you, those of you that are a bit more visual. Um, so this one, we you'll need plums, pears, orange juice. We got a super fancy pear-infused white balsamic vinegar. 
Ooh. Yes, did not know that was a thing. <laughs> uh, you'll also need a very large parsnip, uh, dried morel mushrooms, dried oyster mushrooms, butter, salt, pepper, and tilapia fillets. So you start making this. You're going to chop up one plum and one pear into little cubes. And then you're going to just let them soak for a few hours with, I'd say, about a quarter cup of orange juice I used. And then... It's a question. Uh, I am the cooking dummy. I'm just going to come out and say it and call myself a dummy when it comes to cooking. I don't know much about it. I learn most, most things from from my friend here on how to cook. Uh, my kitchen does not usually get used unless uh, they're visiting. It so. gives me a nice challenge. It really does. Yes. Uh, so my question is, when it comes to pears, plums, even a dummy like me, no, I know what those are. Are there different types, and do you have to pick a specific type for this recipe? Um, there definitely are different varieties. We got, I believe, your standard like store brand plum for this one. And then we went with a fancier pear, and you're testing me here because I don't remember what it is. But like you see, it's the pears you find in the store. They're not necessarily like, you know, the pears that you get. They're always next to the apples. Yeah, it was not darker. those ones. Those they're, pears are yeah. green. So this these was not a green pear, at least on the outside. Yeah, they're kind of brownish. They're more firm in texture. And they're often, I want to say they're used a lot in desserts. You'll see people like candy them and then put them like on cake. And when I remember the name of them, we'll post that. (laughs) (laughs) I went straight up OJ, the balsamic vinegar. It was about two tablespoons of balsamic vinegar. And those, that all just kind of soaked for a long time. And while those are soaking, you don't have to do anything else. You just leave it in the fridge. There's no... (laughs) work on this while you work on that so then once those have soaked for a few hours i ended up pulling some out about half of that mix out and i added cheese that's what i missed there was cheese (laughs) love cheese we we both live in wisconsin so the fact that you forgot to mention the cheese i know particularly um, embarrassing you should be embarrassed a little bit So you take half of that nicely marinated stuff out, drain it a little, and then you cube up your favorite, um, like, buttery mild cheese. It doesn't matter what kind. You don't want anything really potent. Um, No sharp cheddar. uh, No spicy Colby Jack. Um, Your plain mild cheese, and you mix that all together. And that's your salad for this dish. And then the other half of it is going to get dumped into a saucepan and on like medium low, it's just going to simmer away to make that compote while you're doing everything else. And that will take a while. So medium low, just let it go as long as you like. Um, If you notice it getting dry, you just add some OJ and it gets nice and moist again. So no worries there. It's pretty hard to burn it unless you like turn up on high and ignore it. And then while that's cooking, you'll fill a pot up with water and salt, just enough to cover your parsnip, which you'll have peeled. Um, Get that skin off of there. You won't need that. You can toss that away unless you want to use it as a garnish. And then boil away the parsnips until you can stick a fork in them, just like a potato, and it'll fall off, and that means that those are done. And that'll probably take a good like 20 minutes to a half an hour, depending on how much you chopped them up. 
And then we'll work on the tilapia and the mushrooms. So in a saucepan, you put enough butter to like coat the bottom. There's a lot of butter. Butter's that great. That is not a problem. I'm a Julia Child we fan. Butter and more butter. Big, this is a pro-butter podcast. It is. Pro-butter. <laughs> um, so coat that thing in butter, or as Futrell had in her household, margarine and olive oil. That's, that's basically the same, right? Yeah, you know. So <laughs> highly recommend the you butter. You never really know uh, what you're going to find in my house. You know you're not going to find, like, food or the correct thing so <laughs> there's usually uh, something you can work with we but, had to go shopping for all of these ingredients that that she has listed uh, or <laughs> for the salt and pepper they, you had, salt, I had and pepper. salt and pepper which good job good job by me there everything else needed to be purchased right so you got your saucepan full of butter and in there you're going to put those chopped up as finely chopped up as you can get them the mushrooms so i had two dried morels and two dried oyster mushrooms you easily could use fresh but i i found the dried stuff first at the store so that's what i used and they'll like rehydrate and if you're cooking them down they'll shrink so if you have fresh mushrooms they'll shrink if you have the dried ones they'll kind of puff up a little bit and get less dried mushrooms feel like a sponge like that you use in your sink and i do have to say obviously we'll talk more about our reactions to the meal once the recipe is done but i am not a mushroom fan unless they've been marinated on their on top of a steak (laughs) (laughs) but even i uh, enjoyed the the mushrooms in in this recipe even i have to say they were not as potent or like i always just picture rubbery when when, that's my problem with mushrooms if they're if they're cooked weird they're very rubbery so i much prefer mine to be that's why i like them chopped tiny Yes. Because that helps for me. It hides that texture that I don't like. Or I'll do them fresh and then they're not rubbery. But yeah, straight up like a full cooked mushroom. Like there's a that party dish in, it's pretty Midwestery, where you basically put mushrooms in butter in a crock pot. <laughs> and people apparently love them. I think they taste disgusting. <laughs> That's just a personal preference because I don't like the texture. That's so And I am one hell of a texture eater. I used to refuse... Um, pizza when I was a kiddo because the cheese was too stringy. That's weird. That that's weird. <laughs> I still don't like it. I know you don't. Uh, another insult to the great state that you live in. I still like cheese. I just don't like it stringy. That stringy texture is a no no for me. Because I'm a texture person too. It's never been stringiness that part. unless it's a string on a banana and then I'm with you. <laughs> but slimy things, which is why I was impressed by this particular pear. I'm, I'm, it wasn't slimy. It wasn't slimy. I have not had a pear. It was crispy like an apple. Probably, I, and I like apples. Since I was like 12 was maybe the last time I had a pear. And they are. I had no problem with the flavor, but they are so slimy. And granted, we were probably eating canned pears. We were not <laughs> a sophisticated household having a fresh fruit most of the time. Yeah, I was very impressed. But I was concerned when you chose pears for this recipe. <laughs> I was like, okay, great. We got mushrooms, we got pears. What okay. were you thinking when I was shopping? I was concerned, but at the same time, we're going to get to the book, obviously. I, I, it kind of mirrored my feelings of, about the book, of yep. being like, uh, which is how I, I sum up my feelings. <laughs> uh, but I ended up being much more impressed by, by the meal than I anticipated. So, yeah. 
So once the parsnip is soft, you can mush it. So you'll, you'll take those out, strain them, mush those, add the sauteed mushrooms and the butter, and leave a little bit in the pan for the tilapia. So the tilapia has some nice added flavor with the mushrooms. Which it needs, like, okay, so I am not, like I said, bad at cooking, but I watch the hell out of the Food Network. <laughs> it's, it's really funny. I'll be just watching the Food Network, like, eating boxed mac and cheese, like, critiquing what, what they're doing. As that's, we do. That's not that's how you, you poach do. an egg, and, like, like, I could poach an egg. I could never poach an egg. It's the same way you watch the Packers. <laughs> just highly critical. <laughs> I, I learned the strategy of the different shows and the games. Like, I'm like, I know how to do it. I've seen them do it. Um, <laughs> but I know that tilapia is an extremely, it's, it's delicate. It's very mild. It needs, it's going to need help in the, in the flavor profile. So I'm assuming you don't want to be shy in, in, your, in your flavor. No, you fish. go for it on that tilapia. Even I know that. So then you have your, your mushroom butter parsnip and a little bit of that parsnip water and you mash those down and you can then put them right back on the stove on low heat just to keep them warm while you're making the tilapia unless you like cold parsnip puree i mean go for it um we are not here to judge and then we get this this tilapia so when you're cooking meats you want to make sure that they're dry protein proteins yes you are correct Food network. Way to go. Food network. So you're going to pat it down with whatever you got. I usually use a paper towel and then generously sprinkle on some salt and pepper onto those bad boys. And then I added more butter because, you know, you, you use some of it. So I got to take, take, butter. add more butter. butter to that pan. Nice and coated on the bottom. And I have it on medium heat. And those get put in until they're like just browned on both sides. Um, a lot of fish, uh, we have a full fillet, so you can you can kind of see the middle part. And when you when you don't see that like pinkish color, it's typically done. And you can kind of spread a little bit and take a look inside. And once it's white throughout, it's done. And if you want it a little bit more, you can go ahead and make give it a brown crisp. That's one of the nice things when you're doing a pan fry. You can get that little crisp on the outside. And it's a pretty quick, quick cook. I mean, tilapia, that took me what? seven minutes maybe at the yeah, end. Was, yeah i mean they're big fillet but they're thin they were also yeah. thin. so fish will cook pretty quick when you're cooking especially when you got that nice heated up pan and then we plated it so we put the the mushroom puree underneath the tilapia and then we topped it with the compote and then we have that salad on the side and so you're getting all these flavors in like different ways and then we actually used the compote this morning because we had leftovers on top of pancakes which is was preferred to me Typically for me, I am not somebody who likes to combine their sweets and, and savory. I understand there are meats and, like, obviously pork and apples. Food network. Food network that go together. <laughs> uh, not for me. I like my savories and sweets uh, kind of separate. So I really preferred it on the pancakes versus, versus the fish. Going, like, the fish and the parsnip, which were both savory and, and salty, were... For me, delicious together. I did have a preference for the the parsnip fish combo, and when I ate the the fish and compote combo, it was. I mean, it I did not like it. It wasn't bad. I don't think I was in the mood for it. Hmm. I think is what it was. Like we we had we had 
the giant Jimmy John subs not too long before we cooked this and I ate it. I was hungry. So uh, we didn't leave room for our appetites to grow. That is true. It was good. That is true. Sus- we needed sustenance. The fun. reason that we picked this fish, this meal in general, is when we came to the book, one of our first instincts, impressions, was it's one chapter and when I opened that thing and I saw one chapter my heart just like sank I am not a fan of one chapter books there there's there's no flow there's and so seeing that and just feeling like overwhelmed by it so this is a meal that has a lot of food it's a giant filet it's a ton of compote and then we added a lot of frilly garnishes on it that weren't necessarily meant to be eaten because we found that this plot has a lot of non-functional garnishes itself. It does. There are a lot of things that separate would be delicious, or separate certainly has their own function. You can yeah. see where it would go, but when you put it all together, it doesn't necessarily. Right. And you're just like, what's the point of this? Why are we throwing this all together? And so we have this meal that you can eat it and it might be filling. It might take you a while to eat. (laughs) For instance, we still have leftovers in the fridge 24 hours later. (laughs) And there's no food in this house. So I I need leftovers. Yeah. And you just kind of look at it, and I I did kind of match the colors to the colors of the front cover of the book. So they're kind of bland, Um, this kind of peachy redness. If we do, yeah, let's let's hop into the the front. The cover art. That that we do. We're we're not supposed to do. But we do it. And everyone else does it too. They're just not admitting it. (laughs) Judging books by their colors. We get how it gets applied to people. We understand that. We try not to judge people on first impressions. It's a beautiful sentiment. But books themselves, cover art's a thing. And it's very important. And it is It is the advertising of the book. book. Just like my, when you go to a nice restaurant and you place that order and you see it on the menu and then it comes and you have this beautiful presentation that's what makes you want to eat it even more. You eat with your eyes before Ooh, you, you eat with your stomach. You eat with your eyes. That it, fabulous books that have hideous covers. Absolutely. Yep. Yes, of course. But we believe but your literary diet should be partially visual. Well said. That, that, that's a great way of putting it. <laughs> uh, so this book, I might let you describe it. So, okay. uh, so we got this cover. You are an artist. We did post this image uh, and we will be posting all of our books that we read a picture of them so again it's called writers and lovers lily king a novel of course of course <laughs> uh katie has her version of it so we have the little you know stickers per se yeah actually there's so there's two things so i guess back up tell the story so this how is we not, got this book how we got this but this is not necessarily a book that i would choose this is me neither we're going to say that up front because it is, we will be critical. I will give it that it is a character-driven novel, which is something that I absolutely love. You do. I love. Would I pick a... I'm not really into reading most romance-type story. Would I pick up a book that called, that's called Writers and Lovers? 
the writer's part speaks to me a lot. In Heavily. Addition, in addition to being an English major, I'm also also an aspiring novelist, but which is going to get rich later when I criticize this book and, and read, <laughs> you know this this author. <laughs> Obviously has a book published, so it's vastly more successful than I will ever be in my life. So it's a little bit rich that I'm criticizing it. But just based on the cover, Writers and Lovers, this is not necessarily a book that I would pick up and read. Yeah. So the top half of the book is literally just the text over a black background. So we got split so over the horizon, which seems to be a tablescape, but could easily be a floor unknown what we're looking at i'm assuming it's a table just because you know it's got plates but when i see this blue line i think of the um what do you call those baseboards yes oh that's what i say oh i see a baseboard well see there you go and it just it's a still life it's painted it's very pale it's almost the color of the fish i'll be perfectly honest right it does not have the perspective is off, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but I think but what says something what, what like why. Um, so I can't tell if it was just kind of quickly made or if it was intentional. Um, so like this is some of the things you can see, like it's really like forced perspective and it doesn't fit with the side. Like if this is a table, that's not what that perspective is. Does that make sense? Like you can see, like you would see those if it was like this is the maybe it's just a really yeah. really long table or a really big room or something and it, it throws <laughs> so the perspective to me is off. You have some really harsh shadows going on, which really I do harsh. have a fan of, but they're coming from a, a light source that is parallel to the wall in the background, like directly parallel. <laughs> so uh, it it's it not the sun. It's very <laughs> stark shadows so probably not yeah it's uh, just it, it's not and then it's just kind of so dispersed like the the arrangement is so out there the per like it definitely does give you an idea of what the book's about like there's a lot of food on the cover so i'm imagining this has a lot of reference to her job in the book right, yes. um i'm guessing these flowers if i were to look them up i would bet you those flowers probably have like meaning um, so you have Yellow Rose's friendship. I know that much. And then I don't know what the other ones are that are in the picture. They look like, um, or at least those ones look like carnations. Yeah. Like that one does. And then we got this one back here. Yeah, I don't remember what those are. I don't know. And it does give you the, like a little bit of the idea that she's not very wealthy, right? We have like flowers in random like mayo random vessels yeah like Like it's not like they're like in fancy vases you got like camping cutlery a random package some olives (laughs) and her planner and a thing of tea and matchsticks i believe yeah so overall i'm not a fan of the composition but i do think like it is i i would say accurate to the feel of the book yes I would agree with that. I'm not wildly intrigued by... It's not art that I like, which I think is, like we said, we do believe judging a book by its cover has merit. A little bit, at least. It's what, you know, you're walking through the bookstore. There are hundreds and hundreds of choices. What's going to stop you? Yeah. And that's that's the task that they're they're faced with, unless obviously you're already familiar with the author and you're like, well, I got to get Yeah, you know. But 
Yeah. So I'd say if you do see this cover and it intrigues you, it gives you that sense of... Oh, interesting. Or just... Yeah. It sparks something, you probably right. would enjoy it. I'd say it, it is accurately advertising the book. And for us... Which I, I, is doing its job. Then. Is true, because we didn't care for the cover. We also aren't personally fans of the book. Could you tell? Um, <laughs> so the, the, the way that this book was selected, somehow I was in charge of picking our first book, which probably was a mistake. Well, we were going to alternate, and that just kind of went downhill <laughs> real fast. This was part of a Christmas gift... Uh, from my father. <laughs> so we do the Secret Santa thing. We don't really buy gifts for everybody in the family. We're all too old. And You're adults. It, There's grandkids it. now. We're over it. And my dad picked me in Secret Santa and picked the very kind and thoughtful gift of the, the Book of the Month Club. He knows I love to read. It's very true. I... I've always loved books. That's like, if you meet me, that's probably like the one thing that, that sticks. That will that come I real like quick. To, oh yeah, she likes to read. So the way the book of the month club works, the way it works, which is a little bit annoying to me, I had a choice of five different books. Mm-hmm. And since I've been signed up for the club, like the club had been bought for, so all of these books are free. If I choose from those five, you can expand out of those five and pay money which is annoying to, to presumably me. the higher class books yes or not hi- higher class no but bigger you just have more options because mm. when you think about five choices so you were trying to appeal to everyone who was in this club so it can't be anything that is too long it's designed to be consumed by the masses yes so it's and so the five choices it's usually tough honestly usually the five choices are not necessarily books that i would choose for myself and particularly in february a tough decision whatever those other choices were for some reason this was the best choice and maybe just because writers was in was in the title did catch your eye nothing else that month jumped out at me and for sorry just on principle I didn't want to pay more money into the club and pick other books that I did find more interesting. I remember just being really disappointed. So I'm stuck with these five. For some reason, of those five, this was... Don't stuck out. This was the one. So I need a pee break pause. Okay. <laughs> also a wine break. All right. And we're back. <laughs> we are back. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that's how we got the book. Not, as you mentioned before, it is not divided into chapters. It's not divided into sections of any kind. It's, it's not one of those kind of stream of consciousness things. It just like runs and runs. Which brings us to an important uh, question you had for our audience. The question that I was wondering, and especially as I get, I guess we got to set up our our premise, our synopsis a little bit. Oh, we should. Tell them a little bit Let's roll about dice. this book. One. 60 second summary. I don't even know if I need 60 seconds. Alright. Our protagonist is Casey. Casey with a C. She is in her 30s. She lives in Boston. I want to say it's the 90s, late 
90s, so it's not quite present day, which makes me think it's autobiographical of the author, but we can get back to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, She recently lost her mother, so she's still reeling with grief from that. Very down on her luck currently. She is an aspiring novelist. Very Uh, poor finances going on. Yep. uh, In all kinds of debt from school. She lives in, like, a shed currently because she's not making a lot of money. She's a waitress. That's kind of the premise. That's like That's it. it. That's it. And she obviously has... There friends. basically is no hook. There is no hook. So it's just the life of an aspiring author. And I think... That happens to have a lot of lovers. Yes. The thing that frustrates me the most is that should be very interesting to me. I like true-to-life stories. I like character-driven stories. She doesn't have character. We'll get in. I mean, she does. Everyone has character, but it—it yeah. it was just very unsatisfying that way. But that—that that is the premise. Aspiring to be an author, down on her luck. Like—that's yeah. basically it. That's it. And and that's and that's where the we, whole book. That's where we get into critique number one. I think is that the whole book is. So any of you that have ever written, tried writing a novel, journaled, any of that, this book gives the feel to me of essentially a brain dump, that first draft that you just let it all flow out of you, and then it doesn't get love later. It's always interesting when authors write about writing. I feel like that... Which is dangerous to do that's what got praised about this book in reviews when i read them granted there are some really she is not untalented no and that's the frustrating part like it's not a bad premise and she's not a bad author but it was not a book that i enjoyed like that's annoying whereas like you talk about 50 shades of great that's not good writing no it's not good writing. it's fan fiction and it's not meant to be it's meant to be fine and that's fine and that's fine. And maybe that's where we get frustrated, because we did... There's we know this author is a good-selling author, so we know she that is. there's skill there. And she's talented. There is not... And so we felt disappointed. There are phrases and senses, especially when she is writing about writing. Some of those ways she describes it, the method, how it feels, uh, living in those memories, and stuff, is very potent. It is. And she does get a lot of... There's little snippets of parts that I've I did really enjoy. So we talked a little bit. She she kind of intertwines some feminist stuff, and it's not like stark in your face. It's just kind of there, which I found very tactful. She has a few like sentences here and there that, in a bad writer, you don't get those sentences that you're like, yes, right, and they were there. Like they one were of there. them. Where was I? She said, particular pleasure of intimacy, loving a book with someone. Like, she really, she does get the whole writing author book love. She loves books. She loves writing. Like, you get that. And that's powerful. Yeah. It just, there's just not much else going on. Character, for me, Casey was just extremely hard to relate to in any way. Yeah. And this is coming from someone so she is a writer. I am a writer. I'm not successful. You had you did have writer. the one 
published thing in the thing. Didn't you? Oh, like way back in the day? Yes. Yeah. She is technically a published writer. (laughs) Ah, yes, that was when I was 17. There was a contest. uh, Something for young Americans. Some literary something for young Americans. I don't know if it still exists, but I did write a story that ended up in there. Uh, Where was I going with this? It should have been someone that I connect with. And later on... You expected um, that it was a writer as the protagonist that you would have a lot in common. We're in our early 30s. We won't even be the same age. I can't remember how old she is. I'm 32, 33. How old Hey, I got through the whole book and couldn't remember the main character's name, so... 32, 33. I'm one of those. You're 32. Yeah. I think she's one of those, the the protagonist. And later on, so she's a waitress through the majority of the book, unhappy, and then later on she finds a teaching job, which we will come back to. We'll get into. I was also a teacher for a short period of time. This is someone I should have clicked with. Right? And I didn't. She has the life perspective of, and it's not like, like sometimes you don't like people because... A lot of the times what we don't like about others is that they have different values than us, right? That's usually where those things come off. We like people that are like us. And so when you find someone like this character that's like you, that you don't like, it's hard to digest. My biggest problem with her, and I, I would not categorize myself as a ambitious person, but she is just completely unmotivated. Which I is hard... Like. To find in a writer. Like, usually writers are like, this is the book, right? Like, this is the one. It's try number 500, but I still believe that this is going to happen and I'm going to make this work. Or just not even, just no motivation to do. Even in the personal life, things just happen to her. Things just happen to her. She's very passive, which isn't a bad thing either if you explored that. If there was... There are just so many. If it was acknowledged as part of the writing, that come up in this yeah. book that have no bearing on anything. Like you find out she was like a golf prodigy when she was young, which it, it doesn't has play no bearing on the book. All it does is comment on like one date that she has. That would give you so much of a sense. It could give you so much of a sense of the character's growth and where she was. Like that's character growth, right? You go from this is where I was to this is where I am, but it's more just a passing comment where it could have been a thing. It could have explained more about her, right? It could have explained her motivation or lack of motivation. Or lack of motive, which is fine too if it's But it wasn't touched on more than just, hey, by the way. Consequences to things. Like, it just... Talk about this a little bit before. So she's in massive debt. Like massive thousands of dollars like i think it was like seventy thousand dollars or something just and really it's bad. it's it seems to all be like like the bad debt too like it's all like credit card debt credit it's card not like debt. she has a mortgage she's paying and loans off and her student loans are piling up and obviously okay so she's working as a waitress doesn't like it obviously that's which she's doing what she needs to do also i wonder because she is a waitress the waitresses i know and she seems to work at a higher class restaurant it's a fancy restaurant those waitresses tend to get big. Like, I know someone that has worked at, like, people that have worked at Olive Garden, people that have worked at, like, Red Lobster, and they can make, they're good at their job, and they can make really dope tips. And they it's, they work with that. And she lives in, like, a garden. It sounds like she's living in, like, poverty. Like a, yeah. Like, a garden shed or something like that. 
but you never feel any effects of her living in this poverty or people do call her about the debt and she just ignores the it bills all. pile up but there's no no urgency there's no concern there's no so it's that laissez-faire style of her life that we're just we can't connect with so it's like this thing is happening but nothing is happening why are you telling me all this like stuff? why are you setting this up like every time i get a notice from my student loans that my bill is coming up right. and like i'm doing good now like i'm in a place where like i'm i'm making decent money i can afford to pay my student loans luckily i don't have to defer anything right now and i realize that that's a wonderful place to be in and i'm very lucky to be there but even i in that place when i get those notices of billing i still have that freak out because i go back to a time when i wasn't there right and even when i wasn't there like i realized that it was just a moderate temporary form of being like low income where versus her where she really seems to be like, like really, full that, she on lives in a shed like that that's happening that she doesn't have any of that people that have lived that way for the whole life you get this sense of like not giving up but like acceptance and she doesn't have that and then she doesn't have the form that you and me would have where like the freak out, the anxiety, the worry, the maybe depression, maybe, you know? Not that she's not depressed either. But that's a different thing. Like, that, this could easily feed into someone's depression, that's right? That's where I thought it was going. And that was the frustrating thing, too. Because I was like, okay, she's kind of maybe numb to all this stuff. Like I said, her mother passed away. And that's kind of like the only real through line of, of the story is that that's very upsetting to her. But depression isn't that singular, Ever. I just thought maybe that's where it was going. <laughs> like, at least that'd be something. And that's kind of what I was talking about, like, compelling to read the whole book, is that maybe that was the point that they were making. I really that thought message. that she was going to go down this kind of, like, mental health. Like, I really, yeah. as I tried to find the hook point, I, I really was hoping that it would be the complex grief of her mother passing, that she can't get over that that is what makes her stuck. Which is how it started. When it and didn't go there. It didn't. I, I thought that's where it was going. That part kind of made me compelled to, to keep going. That was what kind of kept me going. Can we, can we take a divert and just kind of talk about the grief trajectory of this book? Okay. Let's go. Disclaimer, yes, I am a therapist. Second disclaimer, I don't specialize in complex grief. That's not my nuanced area of where I work. With that said, just, I feel like just being a normal person, like people that I know that have experienced grief, people that I have counseled that have complex grief, um, which is a weird diagnosis. We won't get into it. It's like one of those subset diagnoses. That's not like a real diagnosis, but it is like diagnosable. It's, 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 later. it's funky. Um, but some of the things that you see in complex grief is that you have this sense of this inability to move forward, um, that you're kind of stuck in that time frame for whatever it might be. There's kind of like you might relive that those moments, right? That month of someone of the passing. Se- the sense that I get that mm-hmm. that does come through, especially at the right. beginning. She has some of those moments. And then it just, 
grief does not get fixed overnight when it is a complex grief or a regular one. You tend to, it dissipates slowly over time. If it's complex grief, you might have to put some work into it, right? Like she does go see a therapist for a short period of time and they work on it for like two weeks. And then shortly after literally everything in her life gets fixed and all of a sudden the grief is gone. And that's where I got disappointed because that's problematic. That short term like when people win the lottery or lose a loved one, those emotional changes don't last. We tend to go back to our midline, whatever that might be. So if her midline is that complex grief, she would go back to it. Which is, again, where I thought it was going to go. Because it does hit a point where everything in her life turns around and starts going extremely well. And that... And she gets happier because... Well, yeah, of course. Of course. You win the lottery, per se. You're going to be happy. Like, you get that adrenaline. Maybe she'd kind of start going back to the way she was. And that would have been, like, the book's That would have... That's what would have felt realistic. That... Yeah. And we just... We didn't get there. It's like we finally read this whole chapter that was exposition and got to the hook point and it died. Yeah. Yeah. And I realize everyone experiences grief differently, but the way that she experienced it just seemed, it wasn't something I personally could relate to. So obviously I'm going back and forth here between me and my professional viewpoints. Um, But for me, one of the biggest griefs that I've experienced is some grandparents passing and then a great aunt. And that was, my great aunt was my very first experience, I think, with grief. I knew her well enough, like I was young, And I remember crying at the funeral and my sister asked my mother why I was crying because she was too young to understand it. So my mom had to explain it to her. And that was my first experience with grief. And then later in life, obviously, more people pass. And now as an adult, I've experienced the passing of all but one of my grandparents. And they all hit differently, each of themselves. And my mother's mother was the hardest for me to go through. And it comes in waves, right? At first, it's hard, but I had the experience of we knew she was going to be passing. It wasn't sudden. So you have some time to mentally prepare yourself, but it still sucks. You still miss them. And that first month or two is the hardest, right? Like, you can't not experience that grief. And then as it gets further, it starts to happen less and less. But there was still a time... I think it was like a year later where I was just thinking about my grandparents and I just started crying. So I call my mom and we cry together and we grieve through it together. And that's one version of healthy grief, right? It's not overcomplicating my life. I'm addressing it, right? Those are things you do. You, you mark the passing, you do your rituals, whatever they may be. And it feels like she didn't, which is why I thought they were going towards that complex grief, that difficulty of getting over the loss of that loved one, that person that was there for her her whole life. Like, right? Like, it sounds like her relationship with her mother was intense and meaningful. Right. And I think later on when she does finish her novel, I think it it is her mother's life. Yeah. I I think is... Which means you had this huge... And maybe that's why we're disappointed. We felt like there was this big opportunity to explore that that didn't get explored. Yeah, absolutely. And then it's all... But then again, 
maybe that's like we're like hey can we have book number two and could you please elaborate (laughs) (laughs) i'm not saying if there was a site i i would be a a little intrigued but i would only give that one (laughs) 10 pages yeah, maybe. 10 or 20. I'd say a single chapter, but... <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, be true with that. And it's all... Uh, so, that, like I said, that's the only really through line other than her relationships with different... Oh, can we people. please get into Paco? <laughs> so, I'm just going to start off saying that this has one of my... Pet peeve alert! Hit pet peeves of all time, which it comes up in books and movies and TV shows. Pet peeve. Yes. Take it away. And, you know, this is all highly informed by my life, being a single person, being basically unlucky in love and just relationships in general. Just She's one of those characters where everywhere she goes, someone asks her out or like falls in love with her like if you've ever and, seen did you watch um fuck, that amy schumer movie pretty no i feel pretty i feel pretty no so it she has one character in there that like does that and she's like so that stuff really happens <laughs> and it'd be one thing if she was an intriguing person but she's not i i assuming she's attractive it's not I don't overly, think we touch on her looks too much at all. Stated anyway. I'm just assuming she must be attractive if because she's not that interesting. She's not interesting to me. And she's but, not outspoken or really outgoing at all. So she's not exactly finding people because she is making the effort to interact with individuals. Right. But, I mean, she has... There are significant more significant relationships in the book. But there's so... Paco. 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 Luke. Luke. Solace. And Oscar. And Oscar. And George. And, like, that's five already. And I was still questioning Adam. Not that it, you cannot have multiple relationships. You ob- Obviously, you certainly can. It's just, she just goes to parties, makes no impression on yeah. anyone, and, and then people has are asking her out. Which is one of the things that, again, we didn't quite care for in the character, that things just happen to her. She's just not that interesting. And I'm like, what is drawing these people? She's in? not interested in herself, let alone... And then She's ma- not sparking interesting conversation. She's not connecting with that. It's just... Even, like, women that are, like, tr- wanting to attract someone and don't necessarily have that extroversion, right? Like, we all know that friend that, like, you know, they know how to, like, they dress up and they, like, they attract them that way. They She's not even trying. That. I knew one person that they basically flirted by doing a lot of like Facebook posts so that the person would see them. Like, there are ways of like you know even if you're not an extrovert and like things are literally just happening to her. And it's different than like any one of you that has like social media. You get the posts and they're usually like false like direct messages that are people trying to get you to go to their sex site, yeah. which happens. <laughs> And it, it just kind of, like, I don't know. To yeah. me, it kind of falls in that category. <laughs> it's just, I don't... I mean, one of the biggest, or the way it, the summary, or the premise of the book is like is that she has to choose between these two guys. So, 
Uh, but she the, doesn't care. Right. Some of the guys we listed are, are past love. She's she's had her heart broken before, like all this kind of stuff. But there are two guys who are active in the The main book. ones, which are George and One's Solid. Oscar. No, Oscars. Oscar's so Oscar is like a Did I even writer. I didn't even write down Oscar. Oscar is like the successful writer who has the kids. Oh, that's right. Yes. Who has two kids. Oh, it ends up being Oscar and Silas, and then George is just kinda on the side. And they don't I mean, they go on dates. They There's no connection between but they I I just I don't know. I that was very I didn't feel flat, like, very, like Oscar it felt like she was maybe supposed to have a starstruck reaction and then realize that it was false. But then, like, she kind of was like, oh, yeah, I guess I could be a mother to his children. Not like, oh, I want kids and we get along. Don't even get me started on his kid. His kids are like, I didn't write it down. So I'm going to guess. I know one is five. So there's two. Bo- it's two boys. I think it's like five and seven. One is five. I thought one was even younger. I was going to say, like three and five or five and seven i think five and seven these are all like and these two boys are just beautifully behaved and well-spoken <laughs> and she babysits for them at one point and i don't know what oscar is off doing he's not there but she and they just love her obviously i think he's he's divorced is he divorced or did his wife pass away i think it's di- i'm i think it's divorced <laughs> Obviously, we cared a lot because we paid attention and we remember as things. As always, tweet at me, <laughs> being wrong. That Call us out. That he is a widower. Please tell me. I, I, I'm i going to go with divorced. No, I think you're right. She's dead. You're right. I think she's, she's dead. She's dead. Take it back. Don't tweet at me. <laughs> <laughs> but she is dead. But, which almost makes it worse. <laughs> they just bond with her immediately. And which... But like I'm not saying it can't happen. Well, people that I know that bond with children love children. She's like, like apathetic towards like she is towards everything towards the kids. This isn't like a cat that comes to you because you don't like it. <laughs> and that's how it's written to me. Like they just they bond immediately, they get along beautifully. I mean, she has to do the whole... Babysitting for kids is hard. Especially five and seven-year-old boys. Boys. And they just... And they're they full-on, like, they're full-on boys. They eat all their food, they take their baths, and they go to bed, and then they're just basically in love with her. Like, most and kids, like... Okay, we babysat, right? Like, we've done it that. Was, I was bad at it, but maybe and some it takes, people aren't. But. I remember babysitting being... Like, I was putting so much effort into it yeah we are we are pulling our imagination we are making up games Games. to play and you have to find a new game like every like 30 minutes because the attention span is so short and they're so happy to have someone new that they have so much energy they don't want to go to bed if it was winter i was screwed because at least during summer i could take them outside we could play basketball yeah we do stuff like that if it was winter we were fucked like I mean, we can read books, but that only lasts for 20 minutes. <laughs> if only. If yeah. <laughs> if only. And it's tough. And so they just bond to me. Like, there's something so frustrating about this character. Because everyone is so compelled by her. And, like, drawn in by her. And we aren't giving a reason. None. So maybe that's one of the things that we really dislike. That there's zero personal insight. 
just what is it about this person that is so insane? And I realize there are people that don't have personal insight. I mean, there are. Why write a book like that? To connect with people that don't have personal insight? Again, if that had been the point, is that the point? Maybe that's the point. Again, we don't know what the point is. I don't know what the point is. I have yet to figure out what the point is. We have read this book. We have talked about this book numerous times. I don't know what the point of this book is. That, what, things get better magically? (sighs) Without magic? Are we we getting to the ending? Because the ending... I know we talked about my biggest pet peeve, which... That's your general pet peeve in everything. General pet peeve, but it's not even... I like a good love triangle. If it's done well, if there are good reasons... But I'm thinking like like Bella Swan triangle where people are just like, oh, I love you. Even that's a little bit more... Like, I get get that. I get Twilight. Like, I get it. It's it's not my favorite, but I get it. I get why it exists. I get why it's popular. It allows you to get yourself lost in a fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? She wrote a dreamy whatever. Yeah. I like it. I'm down with with Twilight. Tell us why the ending... I'm going to let you talk to your part of the book, and then I'll talk to the mental health part and why it... Because I did a little bit, but tell us why you truly distaste the ending of this book and walk us through it. This was particularly hard for me in a lot of ways. I am an aspiring novelist. She is an aspiring novelist. I'm a former teacher. She becomes a teacher. Walk us through that interview, because that's where your distaste started. And later on, too. So, teaching at least the teaching interviews that I had, I'm not saying ever. And I think the school that she goes to is some It sounds kind like of a charter. Charter loosely, almost do-it-yourself. And your, most of your experience, I think, is in private. Or public, public. Public school. Public, public. And so maybe it's, maybe it's different. I don't know. It's vaguely described. I, I did get the sense that it's, it was not a public school. It's yeah. a different I definitely got the idea that it was like a charter trial kind of environment. But but... teaching interviews are intense. Mm-hmm. They're intense. Honestly, I've never been in a teaching interview that was just one person. It, it has been single people further down the line like, yeah you meet more people but, like, but you usually have one, more than one yes oh god yeah there's a panel or there's you like go to different people or, yeah. or you know there's ne- if you're going to grade school principal yeah. like it's always multiple people which is and extremely that's, stressful that's for the kids there's a reason that you there have is. more than one person interview your children's teacher there is but yeah i've sat at tables with six or seven people and yeah. all firing off questions it's they all have different perspectives they're all trying to get a read like, on you teaching interview questions are really hard can you give us one of an example <laughs> or just i mean just really basic things like explaining your teaching philosophy yeah or i mean that's such a huge i Broad mean obviously question. you can like condense it but she went into it a unprepared unprepared she did not put any she doesn't have a teaching license uh or specific degree that i'm aware of which, which also leads us to believe that's a charter that school this is some kind of school um not that it's charter i don't particularly there's good and bad there, there's good and bad uh parts of charters there that's are things that i like about them but they are. get they get done wrong frequently right i mean 
schools in general are. That's a whole issue. We can have our discussions about our education system that we have qualms with. But she goes into this interview completely unprepared. I don't even remember how she found this job. Got I think she just I think, knew somebody. Somebody uh, yep. referred her. A friend or, was like, "Hey, we're hiring." Which, yeah. again, that plot point of all of a sudden a friend has a job for her. Yep. Towards the end, everything just magically turns. Not because of her or things that she's done. Other people just, are just entranced by her, or just things that go so ridiculously well, but. We'll come to that. So there was a total of two people in that interview. There was the one teacher. Right. And the principal. Right. And the principal and didn't even interview her. Right. Really kind of goes... I forget how it all goes down, but they don't talk about teaching at all. She talks about the kind of books and an author that she likes, which... Yes, that yes. can be part of it. Absolutely. Sure. But that's the whole thing. That's Whereas, all she like, talks about. I know, like, you've kind of told me some, and I have other people I know that are teachers, and, like, sometimes you go as far as, like, you're going to present a lesson plan, yeah, and you're you going to give us a class. And things really specific. Your portfolio. Your like, portfolio? teachers have portfolios, BT-dub. That was, like, one of the most stressful times of my life was putting that together. And... Yeah, you present that, and you talk very specifically about what you're going to do and how it's going to work. And you specialize when it comes... Like, if you're going to be a literary teacher, that is something that you specialize in. You can specialize in child education. You can specialize in special education. Even that gets nuanced to age. I have a degree in this. (laughs) I have a degree in this. There's a lot that goes into it. It's not just as simple as I like books. I'm going to talk about it. That's what you do when you have a podcast. That's what you do when you have a podcast. (laughs) Which is totally what happens to her. And all she does, I'm not saying you can't talk about books or your favorite author during an interview, but that would be a very small piece of it. That is the whole thing. It's the whole thing. She gets the job. Which I have been very lucky with my jobs. I have had ins at almost every job I've applied to, which isn't that many. Like my very... My very first job was fast food. And let's be honest, fast food interviews are pretty like right? competent. Yeah, like you can no. you can flip a burger, you can right. run a cash but register. So, I mean, you have to be reliable. You have to be on right? time and stuff like You still have to make a good impression at the yeah. interview. Yeah, of course. And then after that, one of my jobs was working at a factory where my dad was also employed. So obviously I had a big end and we're going to recognize some heavy privilege there. Like I, I no doubt believe that part of why I got that job I was mean, because be, my dad worked there. Work. I've been on a lot in, in <laughs> I've been on a lot of interviews. Some I've gotten, some I have not. It's how it works. If you know someone, you have you get you get that which it's like a higher form of a recommendation. Yeah, it shouldn't be how it but yeah, that's how it works. And we get that. We get that knowing someone can do it. And we get that. Like, I know that I've been lucky with my jobs. Like, I have only once have I ever had an interview go badly. And it was a grad school thing. And it wasn't that it went badly. I just, you know, you have 100 slots and I just wasn't the one yeah. kind of thing. Whereas so far I've applied to a job and I've gotten the job. I have 
never had to fret. Like I always seem to get my interviews and I realized that there's probably something there that I don't even know that I'm doing or have whatever that quality is. Yeah. Obviously part of it's probably cause I'm white. Like well, that's, doesn't hurt. that's, that's a hefty, that, that definitely doesn't hurt. It just, and it's not even just that. I was even ready to put that aside. Like, okay, this is a different type of school. She got the job. But then she starts teaching and everything is perfect. She all of a sudden, because this was never something she wanted to do. And all of a sudden she has the job and it's perfect. And it's perfect. And teaching is really, really, really hard. It's hard. hard. You do not have 100% of your students behind you. Granted, I taught in a really tough situation where I was taking over for a teacher who was maternity very Ill leave or something. To, yeah. She was ill. Oh, she was sorry. And she had to leave. So I took over mid semester. Yeah. yeah. Mid year. Just like, actually it was really bad because it was right before they were supposed to take their first exams. Yeah. So got to like deal with the, well, we didn't learn that. And I was like, I don't know if you did, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, you might've learned that, but I wasn't here. But you have that, you have those, they're that relationship with the students is not, like, students have their own experiences and stuff. And, and it's you so think back, do you like every teacher you've ever had? And these students seem to love all like of their teachers. And especially her, just all of a sudden, like, oh, we're just, we support everything you do. We're well-behaved. We There's no problem students of any kind. That's not, I... Even your good students have classes they don't like. Like, (laughs) we were very good students, and we still, like, our classes, like, what was, like, me for for me, it's history. Like, I wouldn't say I was a bad student, but I by no means connected with my teacher. Right. Or, like, me and math. Like, that's just not going to happen, probably. Or bird chemistry. (laughs) (laughs) We connected in that class. (laughs) I don't remember anything about chem except for birds. <laughs> I'm sure I do. I do. If it comes, it'll come to me. I don't but know. like, if we it, my experience of that class was just, just drawing pictures drawing of birds. birds. So we did that for like a year. <laughs> that was our thing in chemistry. I would draw birds, and she would name them. <laughs> that was it. That was it. That was a full year of our lives. <laughs> it was a good year. We really connected in chem class. But just everything. I'm not opposed to her getting a better job. Right? And that's that is the start of it, work. though. That's the start. So that's like one half of it. So aspiring writer, teacher, this just starts going just unbelievably well. So we have the whole book. We're at like the last 20th of the book when this starts yeah. happening. Yeah. Where everything just starts to turn. So she's been writing this novel for years, I think five or six years, which honestly in novel land, that's really not that long. Yeah. Uh, it happens. Obviously she's poured a lot into it. She cares a lot about she it. I do get that. She that cares. is projected. She that's cares projected. about, like I said, that was probably the most compelling part of the prose when she's talking about writing. I, I saw a lot of Yes. I do saying. connect with her writer self. So she finally decides she's done. She gives it to her friend. She gives it to her friend, who has, like, no notes. She's like, it's perfect. It's beautiful. It's so good. I mean, I find you an amazing writer, and how many notes do I give you back? I By the time notes. I even give you notes back, you're already rewriting it. I want notes. I want notes. 
So there's like no notes. It's so good. Okay. So she sends it off. This is what you do. I've done this. You send it off to people. I will give them this. She did get some rejections. She did. I think there were like three. One thing I want to talk about is she did not take any of the precautions that you have mentioned that you need to take for your ownership of literary material. That you make sure you have like things saved. And things saved. You things have them like, you know, marked by dates. obviously and it's so well written. Everyone's going to steal it. But no, but you do have to take it, take it seriously. You have to yeah. take, if you want to be a writer, things. like, um, and I, I guess I don't take my art very seriously. You need to protect it. Um, right. There are things that you can do with, especially with computers now. You used to have to do like old school. You like send it to yourself you in the post, and you would make sure you wouldn't open it so yeah. that you had an unopened postmarked yeah. envelope with your book in it. That was the old way, but now with computers. Yeah. So uh, now you make sure that you have it like you have it saved to the cloud and you have it yeah, saved yeah. on your and computer, then you can prove, and so that you can prove uh, that someone stole your work because it is yeah. your it intellectual is, property. It is. It is. It is hard, though. It's getting harder and harder because, I mean, it would have to be almost stolen word for word for you to make your case. Ugh. Uh, which is tough. Because there's a difference between inspired by, there's especially not, with fan I mean, fiction. There's really, there's just so Which we do love fan fiction. New, I do love fan fiction. I got most of my writing stars doing fan fiction. Please. <laughs> just brushed it. <laughs> so she sends it off. It's fine. I've done that. She got some rejections, like three, maybe five at the most, mm-hmm. uh, which is nothing in rejection land. I could wallpaper rooms <laughs> <laughs> with rejections that I've received. Uh, and this is literally, this is her first time. This is her time. first novel. And I am not saying it is impossible for this to happen. Maybe you craft the great American novel. It's the one... You send it off, and that's just it. But with how little personal insight this character has, that part's unbelievable to me, because how can you write a compelling story about characters that people relate to when you don't understand yourself? I don't know. I don't know. And it goes off, and after a couple rejections, not only does it get picked up by she gets She gets a publishing agent, right? Yeah. Is that how that, what that yeah. is? So an agent, yeah, you send yourself to an agent and they have to... So a- agents send they, their lackeys to read their... Their stuff. Their stuff. And then 99% of it they throw in the slush pile. And right. they're like, no. Don't really look at it. And, and that's another... We should ask them how far they read into a book. That's right. And it sounds like this is... Very, like I said, it's, it's her mother's life, so it sounds like it's kind it's of... very personal. Autobiographical, or I guess not yeah. for her, for, by, for her mother and historical in a way and it's not one of those ones i don't know they never tell us what like the hook of this i mean when you send in you have to send in i mean you usually send in a couple of chapters but you also have to send in a synopsis and you have to send in like and they're you get, like 500 words to like like it's like a job application they're specific yeah. and if you don't follow verbatim what they're asking for you're just out because yeah. you can't follow directions and it's really hard. It sounds like it's really hard to pitch the type of book that she's talking about. Because uh, there's no, like, like I'll come back to Twilight. The whole, like, it's a love triangle between a, a human girl, a vampire, and a werewolf. Most teen agents would probably be like, all right, okay, that's a good, it's a good hook. Uh, 
it's never really we never really are presented with if there's any hook to this kind of story that she wrote and then so it gets picked up by this agent and not only does it get picked up to be published most first time authors even if you get picked up by someone you're not making money no off of it you're like yeah we'll publish it we'll see if it sells we'll see how it does we might do like 500 copies we put it here like maybe if you're lucky maybe now this is the part where i get confused because she gets picked up and what i'm confused is why isn't the publisher the one publishing it no they are the agent is the one who's like pushes it to the publishers okay and then the publishers are the ones who have like so so what's so when you're applying for a book I guess that's where I got nuance. I, th- I always kind of thought that you applied to a publishing company. You could, but that's like not how, like it always has to come through an agent. Okay. Like so if you send your book to a publisher, no one is going to look at it. Okay. So the agents are the Unless ones that are JK your middleman. And you're already a person. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but she has not obviously she's an agent, but. So your agent sends it to the company. So she got an agent and the agent sends she, it to the company. And she, then. All of a sudden, it's. Not only does it get picked up, but it sparks, like, a bidding war. war. Like, between, so, first-time author has no proof that it's going to sell. Like, that's how it's all about money. And it's not even, like, modern, like, modern day, you have other things that can back you up. Like, you have a social media following. You have, like, whatever that thing this is. This is, like, 1996, 5, before right? that was really... So she doesn't I mean, have this... Just... She's not coming with a following of people, and they're like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, this is great. I mean, the internet, like, you could barely do fan fiction on the internet back in 1997. Like... Yeah. So she has nothing, and it sparks this bit, a bidding war that is enough to wipe out her debt. Which we've discussed is a lot. Is at least $70,000. And her agent's like, is that all you want? And she's like, well, dream-wise, I'd go to whatever number. And then it happens. like. And that's the that's where it starts getting super unrealistic to us. So all of these things go right. So book is public. It's a... I don't know if the book is successful. The book basically. We don't actually talk actually about ends. whether or not it's successful. Uh, but she gets paid a lot. She's got a new Oh, that's job. the other thing. They give her the money up front. Right. What? What publishing company gives the money to the author? To a bef- first time author. Before they sell anything. That happens Never. after you've been published. They give you a. Royalties. Yeah. Based on how many are sold. And they might give you like a stipend to be like, hey, we want you to write something else. Yeah. Uh, so all those things go well, and then she's happy because... Oh, and she magically decides all of a sudden who she's going to date. Right. Once again, this like love triangle, I guess, is another small through line where she's choosing between Oscar, who's the guy who has the two perfect kids, and then this other guy who, honestly, I have we, no memory about what we he We barely does, get to know him. Uh, except that they went on one date, and then he disappeared for a Silas. long time. He went somewhere. And oh, he freaked out and basically ran away. Yeah. Uh, and then... Which does happen. Because it does, but what was the point? As with everything else. So that he wouldn't be in the picture while she could date Oscar and not have to worry about it. Why couldn't they just date... Why couldn't she date them both at... That's how a love triangle works. You date them both at once. <laughs> right? <laughs> she barely dates them, too. I know. There's, like, zero intimacy. There's zero intimacy... Zero connection. They have no good conversations. No good dialogue. Her biggest connection is I fit into your life and I don't make a problem. 
That's perfect. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. And then, so everything, and she ultimately chooses this guy that we can't remember. Silas. I only remember that because I have the audiobook and the the voice actor said his name very particularly. <laughs> and that's it. And then she's happy. That's that's literally the end of it. Like all of a sudden. Like, and that's where we both came into qualms. Wrong, 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 wrong. Your mental health is does not get fixed because you all of a sudden have money. And this, all of this stuff is just so unrealistic. In a book that was seems like I thought it's trying to be, trying to be realistic. realistic. Do you ever read those books and you're like, oh, you got to the end and you forgot that you had to end it? Like so, sometimes yeah. I get that feeling that like we're going there, we're going there, and all of a sudden we're like, oh, we're there. And I was like, you missed it. You missed. Whereas it would have been nice to have this happen at like two thirds and yeah. then have the resolution actually be what happens after we're happy. Right. When we actually have to be in that relationship, when we actually have to address our grief like, of our mother's passing. Like, that's not going away. When three months later, we all of a sudden, what, smell that book that reminds us of our mother's cooking or whatever. And we have our breakdown and we have our melt. She doesn't, as far as grief goes, she's pretty blase. Yeah. Which is, also leads me into like, is it supposed to be grief or depression? Like, they're different. But even depression is less, yes, there is depression that's just kind of, eh, right? Like, but then when those things happen, you don't have that motivation. You're, you're late to work. You're not actually working on your novel. You stare at it and you stare at it and you can't bring yourself to write and things like that. And like, it's those nuances of the mental health stuff that kind of get me the part that makes me feel it's so unrealistic that there were so many missed opportunities to actually go into the realism of, for me, it was the grief. I was really hoping they would go into complex grief stuff. I, I was, because I, people struggle with that and to have a I book that addresses just it. One paragraph at the end where it just kind of like hits her. Like, Oh, like that would, to us, that would have been here. a revolution for her to be like, I got everything I wanted it's and still I still here. don't feel it good. It still hurts. Yeah. That would have been amazing, actually. Or even for it to transition, like, holy shit, I got everything I want, and now I don't know what to do. I'm so stressed out. Like, I have all this money. I don't know what to do with it. I have this boyfriend. I've never been in a serious relationship. Like, holy fuck. Yeah, I don't see the point of what are you supposed to feel at the end? What are you supposed to come away from with this book? That if things are going well in your life, you're happy? I mean... Okay, yeah, sure. I guess for some people, probably. Yeah, but that's not how it works. But that's works. not a... I mean, you can be the wealthiest, most stable, successful person and still have those grief and mental health that's pervasive across everything. Of course. So transitioning from poverty to wealth doesn't change that. No, it doesn't. <laughs> So, so that's how we feel about the book. So that's how we feel about the book. I, I feel like it would be probably far less frustrating for someone who doesn't have personal experiences trying to get a novel published and teaching. And it, she's also teaching like high school kids, which is what I did. Like, yeah. All of this stuff, I couldn't believe how in line it was with yeah. experiences that I've had and just being completely different from anything that 
Right. If I were to talk to someone who's a Doctor Who fan, we tend to have other things in common, too. Yeah. Like, it doesn't stop at just that fact. Right. I just... I, I just couldn't believe it. And or we have passion about those things. She has zero passion. There's no passion. And she's just so... I that she's a character without motivation, which I don't always agree with characters' motivation. Like, you look at something crazy like Breaking Bad. You look at Walter White, who does terrible things ultimately down the line. But he's a highly motivated, like, motivated character. And you connect with that. Even though he's doing things right. that you would never do, but that's interesting. You're That's why we read books. You love that character part, and then it, it also goes back, like, I didn't become a therapist because I don't like people. Like, one of the reasons I love therapy I like is people. I love learning about people. I love what makes them tick, and I can't figure out what makes her tick. There's zero spark there. Yeah, she's just really... Not even one. I don't even know what the one note would be. She's just there. And has all of this, obviously, but like she doesn't doesn't even feel her poverty. She has all this good fortune rained down. And then it doesn't even go into it. Like you, that could so easily so bleed into things. these things that are but so much things, relatable. Like you find out that her dad is a horrible person who used to like, Buy on young girls and a lot. And probably do more. We didn't even get into that. There's all, this is getting back to our meal now. There's all these different elements on the plate. That we don't know how they're supposed to fit together. But it's like how, okay, so your dad is like a really like slimy, like terrible person. The point. So people that have trauma, like there's various different reactions. And yes, one of them is you can talk about it without feeling it. You detach from that trauma and that's perfectly acceptable. That's fine. You're dealing with it. But it's the fact that it doesn't seem to be the trauma. It seems to be her personality. Yeah. It's nothing. There are interesting things set up. I mean, you could make a whole novel about finding that out about your dad and what that means well and if it was a trauma and stuff like that and things that go on there i would expect it to have effects on other parts of her life it just comes up and it's never really taught like he shows up at one point she works at a restaurant and he and i want to see his His new wife wife, girlfriend fiance fiance. i think they're engaged or recently married come to the restaurant and she has to serve them and it's awkward. It's awkward and it's weird and then it's done and that's it. Book is done with that scene. Never brought up again. It didn't create any issues for her where I imagine a, a person that's been through that, there would be an emotion, something. It's either you could feel apathy, you could feel anger, you could feel hate, you could feel distaste, disgust, you could feel depression, you could feel annoyed even. Anything. But I got zero emotion after that encounter. Right. That just seems to kind of be the case. There's just not... It must be the character, I guess. There's a lot of interesting pieces and premises to this book but none of them are mm-hmm. in my opinion properly explored or you just don't feel it 
Is the character capable of feeling emotions? And again, if that were the point, if we... And that's maybe where we come back to, like, we get that, like, people like this, I'm sure exist out there, but when you're writing a book, you usually are trying to make a point or tell a story. And the story typically has... And it doesn't have to be a profound novel, like, thing. But you just want to hopefully connect with that protagonist you want to root for do you root for her and you can root against the protagonist that's too. even can be more powerful that's fine but i had not a Neither i didn't way. care what happened like, to her oh okay i guess this is happening now maybe that's the point if you don't care about yourself your other people don't either probably so yes all in all that is a lot more, I guess, to talk about than, than I honestly thought when we... You thought we'd barely talk. I down to, you know, map out this, this podcast. I was concerned because it, it's hard to... It's hard definitely to talk about this book in any kind of logical, chronological For order. For sure. Since it is just kind of a big blur, uh, which is why we hopped around a lot and kind of talked about whatever just came into our minds or, you know generated strong opinions out of us but it would be almost a less frustrating book if it were poorly written one of the things that we're going to do at the end if you can tell already is whether or not we personally recommend a book and over time you'll get our you'll get a feeling for what we prefer and Overall, if you can't tell, I would I would not necessarily recommend this book, at least personally. I didn't really enjoy myself. I I didn't feel excited to, to pick it up. Nope. Uh, not that this is not a good book. I don't want to... Like I said, this is rich coming from me, the, the unpublished author who thinks she knows things. Well, Miss Lily King is obviously quite successful so neither of us are into romances but this also didn't uh, feel like a romance true. that's not necessarily true if it's good if it's well done i'm super into it <laughs> i never have but i think i would or prefer- i guess not well it has to be a particular kind of romance for me to oh do tell i mean it, it do you like has- smut <laughs> i mean good conversations that's huge for me. Like, they need to be having interesting, compelling conversations because that, for me, that's how, Yeah. that's what a relationship is. I do feel like we had some catharsis talking about this. Like, we started very, like, oh, my God, <laughs> frustration. And now we're like, and it's done. And it's over. Obviously, this is our first episode. So, heads up, these are probably not the usual books that we're going to read. Based on where we're going, I feel like we're going to theme it out per season more than per episode. So the rest of season one here is going to be... I went straight for books I thought that I would like, which tend to be fantasy, kind of steampunk-esque adventures, maybe mystery. And that's like my wheelhouse. And then the next season you'll probably pick... Which is tough. I just made a face. She's laughing at me because I made a face. <laughs> and going... I'm not saying that I don't... I like... 
I'm just like a weirdo. I'm. But I also like. There's part of me that would love to talk about tastes. And like we've done some like, like I have that whole thing, but I also have this like realistic realm of books that I really love. Like, I've read a book about bottled water. (laughs) And, the Higgs boson particle. So there's this whole other. Part. I don't need to be that realistic. I just mean like <laughs> I don't know. I just need to be compelled by hopefully the characters and or the plot. And this was neither. But I think we'll probably we'll probably stick with fiction. Yes, I that would be my preference. We want to just too much reality. As we gather, you audience members, that we have people that. I mean, we know we're a particular kind of person, and mm-hmm. that's obviously who we cater to, and we don't pretend to be otherwise, and right. obviously we're willing to expand those things. There's sure. a lot of diversity that can happen in fiction, and if you There's. feel free to email us um, if you find something that you're like, hey, I would love you to do this, this book, um, we're... Our, we, we have a Gmail. It's bookbunchbrunch <laughs> at Gmail. We're on Instagram at bookbunchbrunch and Twitter at bookbunch or bunchbrunch. <laughs> I know this. <laughs> I don't know. I can't believe you almost got through that whole thing without so with saying bunch and brunch correctly the whole way. There's a reason I made an alliteration. It was fun to me. <laughs> It's Bunch Brunch. Twitter's Bunch Brunch. I'm, I'm nearly fucking positive. <laughs> Gmail's, if you if you want to talk to us, Gmail's the best. The Book Bunch. <laughs> you were doing so well before. Oh, God. You were doing so well before. And half of it was wrong. Mix all of it. Start over. If you want to talk to us directly, you have something. No, they don't want to anymore. They probably don't. <laughs> Our email is thebookbunchbrunch at gmail.com. Boom. If you just want to have conversations with us about these books, feel free to comment then on Twitter and Instagram. Especially if this is like your favorite book. I mean, that would be just... We love to hear opposing opinions. interesting to me. And we want like, to know awesome. the people it, that can relate to things that we can't because yeah, we need to expand that really horizon. to you and... You loved it? God, please. Please tell us why. Yes. So Instagram, Twitter. I've been hashtagging things with uh, B3 um, and Book Bunch Brunch. So you can follow us that way. Since I will probably give you our handles incorrectly. Well, yeah. I'm pretty sure we're, you can find us at Book Bunch Brunch on anything. Nice. I, from what I researched, that we that doesn't exist yet. Next time? Next time. Yes. Uh, On the next episode. So the next book we're reading is The Binding by Bridget Collins. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So please follow us. Yep. Also, support your local library and your local food pantry. And if you would like us to give any of them a shout out, please email us. Can do. And I'm... (laughs) We are not... (laughs) <laughs> the most social media active persons in the world. What? That is true. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and here's where we'll put in some like pretty outro music. <laughs>
I like that. Let's keep that. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs>